Blockchain Chatter, brought to you by Tier 1 People, leaders in fintech executive search. Welcome to Blockchain Chatter, the show where blockchain leaders join me for a chat. I'm your host, Dexter Cousins, and in episode four, I'm joined by Shane Werner from Fireblocks. Normally, I do a bit of an intro, but I thought this time I'd let Shane tell you all about Fireblocks and what they do. Shane, welcome to the show. Hey, Dexter. Thanks so much for having me, mate. I'm thrilled to be on. So what does Fireblocks do? I think it's always helpful to start with what we're not. We're we're in a really fortunate position in this space to be kind of the the 800-pound gorilla. And, and so we often get referenced in, this, in the press, um, both domestically and abroad. Um, and I think, you know, there was an article in the Australian Financial Review mid last year when we helped um, a major bank launch a stablecoin that referred to us as the world's largest regulated crypto custodian. Um, It'd be great if we were those things, but we're actually neither. We're, we're not regulated and nor are we a custodian. Um, we, rather, on the other side of things, we, we actually enable our institutional customers to self-custody, you know, secure mm. direct custody is really what we're about. And we get called a fintech as well, and we're not one of them either. We're, um, we're, we're very much, I think, in many ways, a traditional Israeli cybersecurity company. You know, we are... Uh, we just happen to be a cyber firm focused purely on digital assets. So secure, direct custody is at the heart of everything we do. So true cryptography, eh? Not uh... <laughs> indeed, mate, indeed. Awesome. Now you kind of touched there a little bit on um, you know the the, the stablecoin um, project you were involved in. Before I'd like to talk to you about that a little bit later, but before we do, could you kind of tell us a little bit about who some of your customers and clients are, the types of businesses that you work with? Yeah. So, you know, we've got, you know, we came out of stealth in 2019. Um, and since then we've managed to onboard some 1700 institutional clients of all different sorts mm. around the world. Locally, um, I joined in 2019 and, and we've got 91 institutions on board in Australia and New Zealand, and they cross, you know, a formidable cross-section of, of the corporate universe from, from TradFi, you know, where, where they're looking for secure custody and offering wallet services and they're looking to tokenize everything. And you've read all the article, articles that I have, right? You know, TradFi's long-term thesis is everything's going to be tokenized mm. and, and many things are going to be solved on the chain that, that are big problems that exist today. Transfy is a, a, a significant segment of our, our market. Retail are doing really interesting things. You know, in the traditional retail, you look at what Gucci's done, what Mercedes done, and, and Ticket Tech have, have minted some 50 million NFTs as tickets. And mm. most holders don't even know they're NFTs. Payments is something that we're, we've, we're increasingly getting into with, um, with an acquisition that we made last year and offering secure payment rails around cryptocurrencies. Um, but you know, our, our bread and butter has always been that sort of traditional crypto space with the exchanges and the funds in that space. But I think most interestingly, Dexter, Web3 is where 
all the groovy innovations happening there. Yeah. You know, that whole NFT, DeFi, Web3 space, that's where the VCs are now. Yeah. And how, how would you kind of, you know, summarize Web3? Because everybody's got their own interpretation of it. What, what is it to you? We put it into three segments, I think. There's the NFTs that we mentioned. There's DeFi, decentralized finance in all its different shapes. And I think probably the most profitable one and the least heralded is GameFi. Mm. We fit that yeah. Web3 well. That, you know, that we, we hear a lot about the metaverse and, and we see organizations like Tiffany and Nike and others that are engaging an audience that they couldn't otherwise engage there. And they're... You know, I think Tiffany's did extraordinarily well. Was it 90 million they did out of that Punk's necklace thing? Mm. Um, Gucci was another global brand that that built a, a, a sandbox ecosystem in the metaverse. So they're coming. Um, uh, they're not coming quickly, though, I don't think. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, my, my kids are big Roblox players and... Uh, they've kind of... They, they, they've, but they've actually stopped playing as much since Elton John... Um, came on the platform <laughs> like this isn't very cool. I mean, isn't cool. <laughs> yeah. He's older than my dad. Yeah, um, exactly. Did your kids get an art ball at the Australian Open? No, no, no. So uh, maybe we've not we've not uh, looked into that. But it's it's fascinating though. The um, you know, when you mentioned their ticket tech, and you know, I think yeah, the you look at the use case for just for tickets, right, to events. Mm. It's yeah, it's so strong, right? It's such a strong use case. Yeah, it's extraordinary. It's a, I, I think the numbers fifty million NFTs that Ticketek have, have minted. Wow, it's an extraordinary number. And I wonder how many of those holders realize that it's an NFT. Yeah, yeah. 1%. Um, and so, when when you talk about the Fireblocks business, can you tell us a little bit about who they are? You know, where they originated, a little bit of the backstory. And kind of where sure. you're at now in terms of scale and size and you know, countries that you operate in. Okay. There's a bunch of questions in there. So it was founded by, it's actually a cool story how it was founded, by, by three gentlemen out of Tel Aviv. They had their original startup, they exited to Checkpoint, who, who you'd know, Mike, very well, the, a giant in the, in the traditional Web2 security space. Um, I used to be with Cisco a long time ago and they were our major mm-hmm. competitor. We were probably a fly on their bum at the time, but, but they, um, they're a giant. So our three founders exited to, to Checkpoint. And while I was there, the Lazarus Group hack occurred, I think it was 2017. So that's where North Korean hackers attacked three South Korean exchanges and stole $200 US million worth of Bitcoin. So our boys were called in to um, provide sort of a forensic audit of what went on. And while they were there, they sort of spotted this market opportunity to, to um, secure wallets on the blockchain. So that's really at the heart of everything we mm. do. Since then, um, so we came out of Stealth, as I mentioned, in 2019. We've raised a billion dollars US at a valuation of $8 billion. Um, We have some 1,700 institutional customers around the world, some... Uh, US trillion dollars worth of crypto transactions have gone across the Fireblocks network. Um, 700 staff almost, 680 staff. So including 75-ish in the APAC region. We just had our sales kick off last week in Singapore. I'm still slightly hungover. Um, (laughs) (laughs) 
So it's um, the humidity, not the alcohol. It was the humidity. It wasn't the lack of calories or the lack of alcohol. I assure you. Um, yeah. So we, so we've got a real presence. So seventy five people around around APAC, uh, the lion's share, of course, in North America and EMEA, mm. with the central product office based in Tel Aviv. So we've had an extraordinary ascension. I, Dexter, I think I'm right in saying that we are the second fastest organization ever to achieve $100 million US in recurring revenue. Wow. So we've, we're purely that SaaS model. So, yeah. So, so this is, that's $100 million in recurring revenue, you said, annual recurring revenue. Annual recurring wow. revenue, yeah. Wow. So um, well, this, the fastest of all time was Slack, of all things. Wouldn't there it be my success? Yeah. It's amazing, eh? Um, and in terms of, I guess, yeah, the, the, some of the cool things that you've been doing. So you touched on this earlier, there was the big project last year, um, with ANZ and the stable coin. Can you talk us a little bit through that? Sure. Um, you know, I'm, I'm of course limited Dexter to, to what's public, you yeah, know, because absolutely. ANZ, as you'd imagine, are, are, are still ongoing. Um, so ANZ Bank, I think in April last year, uh, released the A$DC stablecoin. Um, that was big, big news at the time. That was um, the first major bank to produce their own stablecoin. So you would have seen NAB uh, in the AFR yeah. last week released, released the second one domestically. So you know, ANZ created that trend, I think. I think it's fair to say. It certainly got the attention locally and, and indeed globally. Um, that was an extraordinary piece of work. Fireblocks provides the security infrastructure, the plumbing, if you like, um, to, to enable that. And it was an ecosystem of players. It wasn't just ANZ and, and Fireblocks by any means. But they produced the smart contract that, that represents the stablecoin. And they did it from soup to nuts, standing it up on Fireblocks in 99 days. Wow. Now, now, Dexter, you've been around banking and banks yeah. for a long time. You understand absolutely nothing gets done in 90 yeah. days in a legacy bank, particularly one the size of the ANZ bank. And I think that might be the largest institutional bank who gave birth to this stable mm. in Australia. So it is a great piece of work. They had, you know, the right individuals on it. They had, and that was everybody. They got the right regulators involved, the right senior executives involved. And it was an exceptionally quick, um, incredibly well-received piece of work. Mm. What, what, what was it about Australia that attracted Fireblocks? Don't you think, I mean, you, you know, you and I had a chat um, earlier. Don't you think where a, um, an Australia's a remarkably, particularly institutional Australia, is a remarkably early adopter of, um, of new innovative tech that's seeking to disrupt big problems and, and legacy systems? Mm. I think we're a soft landing for any sort of organisation like Fireblocks. Um, uh, you know, us, New Zealand, um, certain islands of, of North America. I think where we have major institutions that, although they're concentrated, you know, we only have sort of four major banks and two major telcos, two major retailers, a couple of mines, you know, they're still filled with innovative, incredibly clever people looking mm. to pull cost out, add revenue, beat the competitor, you know, those sorts of things, yeah. solve big problems and big old problems. Yeah, you, you've done the country manager or that, you know, kind of work with international businesses quite a few times. One of the things that I often say to any 
organization that's looking to launch here in Oz is, you know, you, it's a highly competitive market, right? Like this, it's, it's kind of fiercely competitive. And I think there's a perception that, um, you know, certainly organizations coming here think that it's a bit backward and that there's not, there's not a great deal of competition. How have you found, you know, kind of particularly in this space, the, you know, the competition and where would you say kind of innovation is at? And what, you know, and I know I'm loading a lot of questions here, and more importantly, like what the founders in Tel Aviv, like what have they said about Australia and, and what they think about, you know, the, the, the ecosystem here? I think there's three questions in the first question is about competition. There are 46 potential competitors that we have globally. Um, there are major competitors and, you know, I, I, I'd hate to offend anybody, but I think there's only four or five of them that are really significant yeah. institutional players, right? It's a, it's a bit of a condensed market at the moment. Um, keep in mind, Dexter, that's really early days in this space. I think everybody would agree. Um, so when I first started, I, I didn't run into a competitor for a, a couple of months in a meaningful way. Mm. Um, since since then, I'm, I'm incredibly sad to say uh, the, the the three major ones have have hit our shores, and, yeah. and um, they're, they're they're establishing their beachhead. That's fine. The market's big enough for all of us, I'm sure. Um, the second question was what what is Tel Aviv? You know, what's head office think? I think they're thrilled. I uh, the ANZ Bank was the first major bank in the world that did a real in production go public. Um, transaction that had the view of the regulators, that had the view of significant institutional customers, that had the view of a, a market maker in zero cap. And I know you know my rank, Brian. Yeah. You know, so it's, it, it, it got everybody's attention. And I think we've um, we've touched uh, several groundbreaking use use cases here in Australia. You look what um, the DFCRC and the RBA are doing with the CBDC. Mm. This is a this is, um, uh, uh, in many ways, a world-leading program of work. Um, it was publicly announced. Was it 162 use cases submitted to the DFCRC to leverage the CBDC? It's staggering number. Yeah. So yeah, I, I think I think our international leaders see this as a as a market that isn't just following. It, it's leading in many ways. Mm. Our clients certainly. Are. Um, and the third question that you asked buried in there, Dexter, I've forgotten. I think it was kind of a double-barreled one that you've already answered, which was oh, good. Kind of, yeah, which I think it kind of tied it tied it tied into you know the I, I guess you know the, the the thoughts on what's happening here and us from from leadership and the buy-in that you've got, and it's always a really Can difficult I, thing, right? Again, that, that that are a little bit unique and a little bit away from you know that big bank, big retailer end of town. Yeah. The, the, the thing that staggers me the most um, in, in the tokenization space, the, the number of carbon tokenization plays and ESG related plays, yeah. I, I shouldn't be surprised given that what a huge agriculture and mining nation that we are. But, but the number of very clever people approaching it, innovators and, and entrepreneurs approaching it, from all sorts of different angles. Yeah. And they're right at the top of town and, and guys that have just been funded yesterday sort of thing. I think that's fascinating. Yeah. And I think, you know, 2023, a lot of these programs of work 
that are up and running today, but they haven't gone live. They haven't come out of beta yet. Yeah, I think they're gonna. I think they're gonna get world headlines. I really do, particularly in one case as an organisation. I just love that um, that will make a real splash. I believe. And the other thing that surprised me most recently, certainly in the last half of last year, was the number of. Um, and I shouldn't be surprised at this, but I am. The number of Web three horse racing, horse breeding, horse related. Um, Web3 plays, whether it's uh, uh, tokenizing a, a horse and, and, and you sort of have to scratch your head and go, well, how are they doing that? And I'm going to be reluctant to sort of answer that. And why would they do that? Yeah. But once you imagine right away for a little while, it's, it's kind of fascinating. And, and then there's that online gaming around horse um, avatars, mm. yeah, which is, it stuns me how popular it is. And, and we've had multiple programs um, uh, pursuing this uh, because, you know, again, we're in that plumbing, that yeah. security, yeah. custody, that mills, that sort of thing. One of, the, one of the ecosystem partners that enables it. It's very cool. Awesome. Now, um, I alluded to this a, a little bit earlier in the, in the chat, um, Shane, about your background, and I wondered if you could maybe share with the, the viewers a little bit more about yourself and kind of how you kind of ended up in the world of Web3? Yeah. Um, I think all the best things you fall backwards into, don't you? You can't. Yeah. Just sort of plan. You know, I've, I've been in Melbourne. I'm a country Queenslander who fell in love with Melbourne a couple of decades ago and, and sort of why wouldn't you, Dexter? Um, uh, and so I bounced around some fabulous organisations, SIs and, and vendors, like Dimension Data and Cisco and EMC and IBM. So I was that really big tech mm. end of town and always customer facing, always sales focused and sales leader focused. But um, sort of the last five years, I was um, focused more on that startup side of the world, both, you know, um, helping companies out like Galileo Ventures, who are VC and attached to organizations like Enterprise Island. But, but for my day job, um, I was with MongoDB, mm-hmm. um, uh, a database company that was a great disruptor um, and was put on the planet to give Oracle a black eye. So that was a lot of fun. And I left them and joined Thought Machine, a cloud-native core banking system, trying to get the, the major banks in Australia and the major financial organisations to move off those IBM mainframes that's mm. sort of the heart of everything that they do yeah. onto a cloud-native, incredibly agile environment. Um, and while I was there, I, I bumped into some very clever people in Singapore that represented Fireblocks, and we started to do a deal together. And then we realized, hey, you know what? I realized that Fireblocks might be the most interesting company with um, the most diverse cross-section of clients I've ever encountered. Yeah. So um, when I got the opportunity to join, mate, and be the first person in country, I didn't take any convincing at all. Mm. No, it's... Um, Thought Machine, really interesting organization as well. And a lot of, yeah, a lot of work. And, you know, that, that I think I've, you know, I've been heavily involved in as well over the last four or five years. Um, Despite, I guess, you know, the leaps that we've made in technology and innovation, there is still this real challenge to get banks to, to evolve and innovate. You talked about being able to do what you've done with Fireblocks and ANZ within 99 days. What, would you say was the kind of, you know, the, the catalyst or the enabler 
to do that, given that, you know, a lot of these, you know, a, a thought machine project is going to take, what, 18 months to, to kind of implement if you can do it that yeah. way? It, it, exactly. But the, the big difference is there isn't a major institutional customer telling the ANZ Bank that they need to change their core banking system. I mean, I don't know that for certain, but I'd be stunned if, if there was. Yeah. Know, or, or in the World Bank. Whereas there was a major institutional customer in the Smorgan Group who are their oldest institutional customer that started banking with them in 1897. That's a number. Wow, that, um, isn't, that, isn't that though, right, a really great story and narrative around yeah. innovation, right? Like, <laughs> well, yeah. that's, why, that's why they're still the dino, today, The right? dinosaurs, eh? <laughs> well, all evidence to the contrary, right? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, the, the, that institutional push, that liquidity event, that, hey, you're my banking partner and you have been for 125 years, I want you to do this. And, and when, when that happens, banks are very customer-focused, as you yeah. know. You know, it's, it's a really great point that you've made, Shane, because I was talking to somebody just the other day and we were talking about the stuff that, you know, we put up with from our banks, from a customer service perspective, particularly in business banking, right, where it's just very different experience to being a retail mm. customer. And, you know, I made the point that, um, you know, my kids are just not going to tolerate what I tolerate, right, or what you might tolerate. And it's, a, it's interesting to hear that the, the kind of innovation push has come from the customer, not from the kind of internal desire to innovate and, you know, kind of do things better. And, and it's why I say that is that what I've found really interesting over the last decade or so, particularly in corporate Australia, has been that a lot of the innovation that's been kind of claimed or, you know, the, has been heralded there's been actually internal innovation that the customers have not really experienced, right? So from a product yeah. perspective, the products haven't really changed. You know, there might be a slightly better UX, you know, I might have a slightly better running app, but as a customer, my mortgage product is still exactly the same kind of product I would have got 30 years back. Yeah. So I find, yeah. it, I find it fascinating, right, that the kind of push is coming from the, the customer here. I'm not sure it, 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 uh, I absolutely hear what you're saying. I'm not sure that it's the, the push because I think the push from, you know, the bankers that I've dealt with over the last 20-odd years, they want to innovate. They want to yeah. solve big problems. They, they want to get rid of this, but it's the urgency that the customer Yeah. Have. If you give an institutional customer says, I need tens of millions of dollars of my money relies on this happening on this date, that's urgency, right? Mm. Whereas, whereas there's any, you know, you mentioned core banking upgrade replacement earlier. You know, you know, I don't think any bank wants to keep their old core. Some of them were put in in 1967, for God's sake. I don't think anybody's in love with Hogan, you know, or, or having to upgrade a mainframe every few years. Yeah. But there, there's a guaranteed outcome if they do. Yeah. And, and if you adopt a new technology and you spend – you know, $150 million with the systems integrated to make it work, that, that might put your smiling face on the front page of the newspaper. That's mm. wrong. So I think there's that real anxiety. But if, you know, all the institutional customers got together and said yeah. it's time to upgrade or I think um, we'd have a different outcome. Yeah. Now, one of the promises that I've made to all of my subscribers is we never talk about price. We don't talk about tokens and, you know, the kind of speculative nature of 
of um, crypto. But what, mm. you know, one of the things that I wanted to ask you was that obviously that is a world that is, exists and it's probably the one that gets way more kind of eyeballs and media attention yeah. and public attention than the cool stuff that you've done with ANZ as an example, right? Um, mm. How have you found, you know, kind of, you know, the, the, the challenge and, and overcoming the challenge of kind of legitimizing and, and kind of adding credibility to the, to this industry, given all of the things that you kind of have to, you know, always, you know, kind of bat away and, and come up against. Yeah, look, it's, um, it's heartbreaking, you know, lots of good people lose their jobs and lots of, um, uh, good companies disappear on the back of, you know, greedy people with, you know, the sharks, always sharks swimming in the water, you know, mm -hmm. any new venture, just looking for signs of blood. And, and we saw that uh, FTX, talking about malfeasance, disaster that's still playing out in the courts. Um, uh, you know, 30,000 Australians lost a whole bunch of money yeah. because of that and had a pretty ordinary Christmas, I would have imagined. I believe the average deposit was hundred thousand mm. dollars. Uh, so, so that's that's appalling. And and we everything that we do in this space gets more scrutiny um, than uh, than any other organisation that I've read for Dexter. And, and unsurprisingly, because of that, you've seen you know since USTD pegged in April May last year, um, our market total. Uh, Global crypto market cap has gone from three trillion to one trillion. Um, it's bouncing back now, but but you can imagine what that contraction did to all of the exchanges, all yeah. the funds, the Fireblocks Network, and yeah. all of our customers have hurt some more than others. Some yeah, scared, you know, and and good people, innovators doing the right thing yeah. by their staff and by their customers. Um, yeah, it's it's had a really kind of cascading effect as well, right? Because if you think right, the the tech industry particularly fintech, even if you weren't in crypto, I'm sure some of your treasury would have been in tokens and sure. Bitcoin, right? Given the nature of the work that you do. And you, then you think of the people involved in it, right? If you're a crypto native, you're typically going to work for a tech firm, right? So I think is the, right? So we've seen this real impact on the startup industry as well. Um, and I've, I've just seen it in people's kind of mindset around how much risk are they now prepared to take? You'd have been way more prepared to take a big risk of you know, going out and starting a, your own business and, and kind of launching an idea yeah. if you've got, you know, quarter of a million dollars in Bitcoin there. But if that's now worth $50,000, you might be thinking a bit differently, right? Exactly, of course. And, and, and I've seen organizations, you know, I've, I've committed deals to, to head office for organizations that were building out um, crypto businesses and they've gone, we're just going to wait and see now, Shane. And, and understandably so. But it's really interesting, Dexter, when I started in, in 21, there was all, there was a real concentration of VC money and all the smart developers and all the smart builders yeah. focused on crypto. Now, particularly in the last sort of 60, 90 days, they're all focused on Web3. You know, yeah. they're, they're, they're doing web, various Web3 plays. Yeah. Um, so they, haven't, they haven't moved to chat GPT yet then. <laughs> just, I was in a, a place called Upside Dow this morning, a Dow here in Cremorne, just in a, in a shared office in Richmond today and um, having a yarn about AI and all of the um, 
the um the, the funded plays in all sorts of different silos that that chat gpt and and it's uh, the, the sort of similar offerings right across this spectrum of of, of go to market strategies are, are playing out so the world's going to be a different place yeah. very soon yeah it is it is um now we talked a little bit about talent there have you seen there's been a yeah, you know, a, a difference in the mindset, of, particularly when it comes to attracting talent, because you know, I'm sure when you guys launched, there would have been a, you know, a lot of excitement around a, a business like Fireblocks or any Web three business. Um, over the last six months or so, I, I think you know, I do get the sense that that kind of excitement has has waned a little. Um, have you seen there's been a, a difference in kind of people's perspective when it, it comes to hiring? Yeah, frankly, with Fireblocks, no. I think the natives, you know, the 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 crypto natives and the, uh, the the people that are in this industry, know that we're a plumber yeah. in many ways, and and you know we're what's the metaphor? We're we're um, we're selling picks and shovels. Yeah. yeah, and and doesn't matter if you're discovering the gold or not, you're still going to need that that plumbing in order to. Um, I mixed the metaphor there, forgive me. You're still going to need the pick and the shovel, right? So we're, we're that infrastructure player. Has it hurt our, our market? Yeah. Have we had a slowdown? Of course. But, but the very nature of our business um, uh, and, and being a leader in that infrastructure layer is certainly helping us acquire, you know, high IQ, high EQ people yeah. with high skill, high will, all that sort of thing yeah. that you need to exist in a, in a hyperscale organization. Mm. So you don't get one job in this sort of role, mate. You know, oh, you absolutely. Know, you, yeah, you absolutely. the cows and shear the sheep and wash the dishes and, yeah. you know, take the litter out. Yeah, look, and that kind of attitude's key as well, right? It's, um, yeah, it's just a really difficult, difficult um, kind of role to fulfill. Whatever, whatever it is, as you mentioned, you've got to wear many hats and, you know, it's just about getting things done and making things happen. At pace. Yeah, yeah. Because the cavalry is not coming. Yeah, and look, with a lot of uncertainty as well, right? That's the other thing. And one of the things that I've found has been very difficult, people who've come from more traditional kind of environments or corporate environments, is to accept and, and deal with the frustration that comes with changing the goalposts. Yeah. A number of times in a 12 month period, right? It's kind of, I remember one founder saying to me, we don't have one year strategies, three year strategies, five year strategies. I've got a 10 year vision and a 90 day plan. It's kind of, <laughs> well, at least he's got a 90 day plan, I'd say. Well done. Yeah. <laughs> Let's see if we can stick to it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now, well, I wanted to kind of also, one of the you know, kind of cool things about the the podcast is the the people a lot of the people that are listening to this maybe haven't moved into web three or the web three space yet, so they kind of might still be in fintech. Um, and one of the cool things that you know I've, I've been getting feedback on is that people have been inspired by seeing others who've made that step or that leap. Um, and so I was keen really to get your advice on. You know what what people can or or should do if they're interested in this space, and let's say they might be working in a bank, they might be in tradfi, they could be in fintech. Um, yeah. Are there are there kind of any podcasts or any kind of resources that you go to that have helped you kind of really learn and get more kind of immersed in this space? Yeah, I think a podcast is a great place to start. Um, 
in your spare time. I think the community is really important. I'm surprised yeah. that, uh, you know, mate, I've sold databases for a living and 200 different database vendors out there and everybody hates everybody. Well, this community is not like that. Yeah. And I'm the least, I'm from country Queensland, mate, I'm the least Kumbaya person on the planet. But, but there really is this warmth in, I don't know if you've struck the Australian DeFi Association or any number of meetups or Blockchain Australia events or, you know, you and I were talking about NFT Fest before, yeah. which sounds um, uh, sort of a, a little bit um, off kilter to, to start with, but it was an incredibly well curated event that was hugely well patronised. Mm. And the level of speakers in there, you talk about bankers. Yeah. You know, leaders in in retail and right across the industry, as well as all the DJs, a bunch of lawyers in the room too. I should <laughs> you know, I mean, police officers. Lots of lawyers. Lots of lawyers. <laughs> Not a lot of lawyers, but, but it, it's it's true. There's a real community going on. So seeking out a community event, and that's not a hard thing to do. Rolling up, you'll be embraced. Yeah, you know, it really will be. There's a lot of humble, intellectually curious people out there because this space is still really new. You know, mm. I have one friend that started Bitcoin mining in 2012, and I don't know anybody that was in this space earlier than that. So it's it's still incredibly new. Everybody's still learning. There's new use cases coming up all the time, and I've mentioned a few of them today, and some of them are really cool. Some are incredibly anodyne, but, you know, I look at what the Tel Aviv Stock Exchange just did with us on um, effectively tokenizing government debt or a bond. And, I mean, you think... Well, that's something that is going to rush into production. That's going to be yeah. meaningful. But, but I get distracted, Dexter. You asked me about podcasts. There's three. Um, Real Vision, that I really like with Raoul Powell. Yeah. He's a bit of a controversial cat, but I think he talks a lot of sense. Yeah, I think um, I think I find that from the economic perspective, I think it's yeah. a really, yeah, I, I really like the insights that he shares. A bit controversial, as you say, but. Yeah, yeah, that's all right. Um, did you hear the, the episode with, um, Anthony Scaramucci on? I didn't know. CJ is probably six or eight months old. CJ. Yeah. I'll, 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 I'll seek that out. That dude does not have a confidence problem. Let me <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. We did work with Donald Trump, right? So. <laughs> two days. Yeah. yeah. He, he That's why he lasted two days. I think. Yeah. He lasted one Scaramucci yeah. for two days. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Unchained. You struck up Unchained. I haven't. No, I've not listened to that one. Really good. Really good. Um, right at the edge of use cases. If you are, they're, they're very good at de defining, just sort of giving you foundational insight into the problem that that an NFT generated by Ticketek might solve, for instance. Yeah. That sort of thing. I think they're, they're really good at grounding it. And a bit more gossipy, but one I like a lot called Bankless. Yeah. Bankless, yeah. Yeah. Cool. Um, yeah. And look, we, you kind of mentioned earlier that there's a business that you think is going to do great things. So you uh, privy to um, say who they might be, or is there anybody out there that you've got your eye on that you think we should watch out for in 2023? Yeah, I have a look at a company called Sensand. S e n s a n d. Uh, I first met uh, the founders, who you know, highly um, accomplished. Uh, entrepreneurs previous to entering in this space. Maybe um, 10 or 11 months ago, I met them. 
they're doing something very interesting with um, ACUS. What's that? Australian Certified Carbon Unit. Yeah, the right. So they they've got a tokenization play around that, and they're merging ag tech data. So they shape. You know, one of the great problems with with this space, with the ESG space, is greenwashing, as yeah. you know, and uh, and the ability for um, you know mums and dads to trade in this space as well. So they're solving a couple of really big problems. I really like the way that they've built their business. They haven't cut any corners. There's no MVP. You know, this yeah. is, uh, this is, this feels like a very mature organization and, and they're yet to launch. So uh, I'm, I'm going to track them closely. I'm going to stay close to them. I, I, I think they're going to be wildly successful and, and um, get a lot of, um, make a lot of people in Australia sit up and take notice. Fantastic. Um, and what exciting things can we expect from Fireblocks this year? We um, keep our product roadmap pretty close to our chest. You understand that we've got those 46 competitors looking over our <laughs> um, It's fair to say that, that we've got a great beachhead in that crypto native space. You know, we, we've dominated that space. It's also fair to say that we've done um, extraordinarily well, extraordinarily well in the traditional finance space. Um, we're, we're trusted there, um, and, and that's not because we're smart, funny, and good looking. That's because we've got a real technology break over mm. the way that we secure your keys, um, and the way that we enable you to secure your keys. Um, the way that we get rid of the opportunity for you know um, collusion within your organisation. Um, so, so we've got a great break there. I think our focus is going to be on where we're going to make the biggest noise this year is going to be in payments. Uh, you know, payment organisations are ripe for disruption, I believe, whilst Australia has an amazing um, domestic payments infrastructure. You want to send money overseas or if you happen to be overseas trying to distribute cash around, um, it's incredibly problematic, expensive yeah. and slow. The, the, the blockchain can solve that. Fireblocks can help solve that. Yeah. Um, stable coins can solve that. So there's going to be a huge fo- focus there and, and I expect us to be equally successful there. And I think um, traditional retailers are going to follow the lead of those luxury brands and we'd love to, um, we're calling that Web3 and we'd love to um, be the, the, the key infrastructure provider in that space as well. Awesome. I think that's going to be the, the, the new um, uh, great 2023 focus. Cool. But who knows, mate? This, this is a. Well, uh, yeah, we're kind of. We, the last three no years have been unprecedented, right? We keep saying. So, yeah. <laughs> so this, this one just goes. <laughs> yeah. Now, um, before we wrap up, there's obviously a lot of, um, you know, we get a lot of people listening to this show. Some of them could be people who might want to work with Fireblocks, some of them could oh. be people who might want to find out more about the technology and the, the, you know, the, the products that you offer. Um, first one on the product side, if anybody's interested in finding out more, where do they go? Our, um, our, our website, blocks.com is the best place to start. Um, of course, you know, my name's Shane Werner. I live on LinkedIn. Um, yeah. You can always just reach out directly to me. I'll be delighted to it. But our, our, um, our we have a heavily curated website and fiveblocks.com is great for product information. 
Um, and easy to contact us via that. You'll get into the business development team and they will look after you. Um, so that's the best place to start there. Cool. And as far as hiring, reach out direct to me. Cool. Excellent. Well, Shane, it's been fantastic to chat to you. Good luck with navigating a very exciting 2023. Um, I hope so, Mike. We've got to turn around. Yeah. It was a pretty ordinary 2022. Well, look, it's, um, you know, what can I say? Onwards and upwards. And as you've pointed yeah. out quite a few times, we are still at very much at the beginning, right? Yeah, it's incredibly early in this. Space. Yeah, yeah. Well, I look forward to seeing you around at, at some of the events, Shane. And uh, until yeah. then, keep safe. Um, folks, you can catch up with me on LinkedIn and Twitter. Make sure to give us a like and subscribe if you're watching us. And if you're listening on the podcast, please give us a follow and a five-star review. It really helps me bring on great guests like Shane and also spread the word about what's happening in the blockchain space. Until the next episode, stay safe. Blockchain Chatter is presented by Tier 1 People, leaders in fintech executive search. We find world-class talent to build world-class fintech ventures. And you can find us at tier1people.com.